Hey guys, this is Liz Cambay. This is Nikki Collins. What up, guys? It's Essence Carson. Hey, this is Imani Media Stafford. Hey, this is Jordan Canada. This is Asia Wilson. Welcome to the WNBA Nation. What's up, listeners? This is WNBA Nation. I'm your host, Logan Jones. Joe <laughs> Jones. Logan Jones. And joining me today is Steve Schwartzman. Steve, how are you? Oh, man. Uh, this is weird, honestly. I, I don't know if anyone's paid attention. I, I haven't recorded a podcast in almost two months. Uh, this is weird. I almost w- wanted to come in playing the Senior Chang song from season two. <laughs> like, I am the one that cannot be killed. Like, it, yeah, that's how this feels. Outside of that, a lot of dope basketball to talk about. So yes. that's obviously good. Yes. Uh, just two, uh, two playoff games yesterday and lots, lots to talk about in the WNBA today. Uh, we've, we're so happy to have you back. You were, you, you texted us earlier uh, last week and said, I've been upgraded from, uh, from, from out to probable. Uh, but then you were, you were in, <laughs> you were in Yellowstone with a young child for a week and needed a little bit of recovery, uh, which is understandable. Yeah, I'd never take a two-year-old to Yellowstone. Um, we had fun, but I lost a lot of hair. Um, but it was it was good times. Yeah, I, I took I I don't want to hit too much into this because we have a lot to cover. I just um I don't know if this was really expressed a lot. I made the decision at the start of the season to take a bit of a hiatus. There was a lot of stress going on, dead heat of the pandemic. I had some mental health concerns myself to address. Uh, and so Mike and I got through doing the challenge cup with NWSL nation and you and Kyle and the rest of the crew were very gracious in saying, take as much time as you wanted. And so I just was a fan of the show for a while and got to sit back and watch basketball. And, uh, I think it's smart for everyone. I think, you know, I think anyone who does content creation in any format, I think you'll actually be amazed the longevity that comes with taking a breather. Uh, and, but I mean, there was definitely a point in my head where I went, well, the playoffs definitely, I want to help contribute at that point. And then as soon as Shea Petty happened, it was like, okay, well, I definitely want to get on mic now. I, I think it's time. <laughs> Some things demand to be talked about. Of course, uh, stories in this episode will include Phoenix playing heartbreaker and what went wrong with the Chicago sky. But first, as, as Steve mentioned, it's been a little bit of a challenging year for everyone. There's been some some dark spots here and there, if you haven't been paying attention. But uh, uh, we're going to lead off the this episode with a positive story today. Uh, Maya Moore was was married today. And and Steve, why uh, do you want to do you want to lead into this? This is such a mind blowingly non 2020 story. <laughs> like it, it, it doesn't match the tone of this year at all. <laughs> yeah, it was such an interesting thing. And I guess technically um the announcement of their marriage uh True. was was the day now. Apparently they've been married for two months uh or so. Um they uh so Jonathan Irons, uh uh Mr. Maya Moore, uh and Maya Moore had a uh interview with Good Morning America the the morning that we're recording this. And during the interview had announced that they had gotten married and 
that was kind of the gist of it at the time. As I look at this, I haven't done much research to, to know what like the full underlying story of it is. I don't know if you've uncovered anything on it, but it really came so far out of the blue. But I would say that it's one of those moments of in a year that was just full of so many dark and sad and frustrating moments. Jonathan Irons walking out of prison was one of those bright moments. And and this just added so much to it. I, I think it goes without saying on behalf of the show and fans everywhere, extremely happy for the two of them and congratulations to them. I have a less than fun take in a second, but uh, this, I mean, I woke up to this news. It was crazy. It was, it was really cool. Um, and I think you're the one who brought it up. Like, I don't know if this needs to be a book or a movie or what, but this whole story is just, it's, it's, it's like modern day fairy tale type stuff. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's such an unbelievable story. And I choose that word carefully because if you would have written it in a book and my more wasn't real, it, it would be incredible. Like, like here's, here's maybe the best person to ever, you know, of, of her, you know, the, the best female basketball player ever, the most decorated, she can do everything. She's in the prime of her career. I don't need to go into who Maya Moore is. You guys already know. And then to, to turn that off and, and, and away from that career in order to, you know, dedicate herself to civil, you know, criminal justice, um, take, like, I, I think a lot of it had to do with her and, and her faith and, and things of a spiritual nature. And now to, to add romance to it is like, yeah, like that's, if I would have written this book, you would have been like, Logan, you put a lot in here and uh, it's a lot. It's, <laughs> maybe, maybe we should parse this down to just one thing. Uh, but that's not, that's not who Maya is. She, she can do anything. So yeah, uh, I think it's such a cool, you'll never hear a story like that again. I mean, so honestly, it's so unique. So much of a storybook. And I just want to, I don't want to dwell too much into this. I do just want to make the statement. Um, if you are someone on social media or otherwise that in re- your reaction to this is questioning whether or not the decision for these two to be wed diminishes the efforts that Maya Moore made for the sake of criminal justice and helping Jonathan Irons after being wrongfully convicted for decades getting out of prison, if that's the take you turn to, what are the words? Go to hell? <laughs> like, shut up. No one cares. Die in a fire and go to hell. Like I, <laughs> a if that's the question you're asking, the answer's no. It doesn't. Um, it, like, th- th- come everything we've dealt with this year, and you're really trying to say that. I don't think it puts a pall on any of that at all, and I think that's a ridiculous place for people to take it. I think it's just people head hunting to try and downplay anything of these efforts. Maybe I have. Uh, maybe I've just finally muted all the right people on Twitter. I haven't heard that insinuation. I, I'm sure it's in certain corners of the internet because 11 follower Twitter has to fill their hours somehow. But I, I honestly, I think more than not, it's just, it's people, whoever writes headlines, man. It's, <laughs> it's whoever's in charge of like, it's, it becomes the salty headline of, of, ooh, does it diminish the, the efforts that she made toward criminal justice? And that whole thing is insane to me. You have our show's permission, WNBA Nation listeners, to believe in good things happening. Like, it's okay to do that. You, you don't need to be skeptical about every news story that comes across your desk. So uh, that was really cool. 
Steve, some things happened in the last four hours. Some <laughs> left Bradenton, Florida. They're no longer in the Wubble. And I'm not sure which one we got to talk about first. Just kidding. Yes, I do. Phoenix Mercury, 85-84. Holy crap. Shea Petty with the shot of the year. Uh, this was... I, I realized uh, how accurate this would be, but in our prediction episode... Uh, I, I called Phoenix. They could be the heartbreaker team uh, mm-hmm. in the playoffs, and I, I'm sticking to that. Any, if if you are a team in the playoffs in the WNBA facing Phoenix, you better be on your game every second that you're on the floor because Phoenix will get you. Steve, what was your reaction to the Shea Petty shot? This was, in three words, such good shit. This was awesome. I, in fact, I like you using my weird. Twitter trope, just like, like it. There's so many things we could talk about with that play specifically, and obviously, there's a lot to talk about with the Phoenix Washington game altogether. Because before Shea Petty happened, the story of the night was gonna be Leilani Mitchell, like the Leilani Mitchell revenge game, and all in a matter of a couple seconds of change. I think the way to explain what made this moment work so well is the timeline of who is involved in the play and when. Because the play starts with the ball being in the hands of of Diana Taurasi. And then it's in the hands of Skylar Diggins-Smith. You look at the gravitas of those two players who both were having phenomenal second halves up to that point. And they they both put the trust in a player who four weeks ago was a Washington Mystic and got dropped and picked up at the very last second by the Mercury. And it's so much more than a shot because I think Rachel Galligan hit on this a lot on Twitter and I totally agree with it. What's almost as impressive as her making that shot was she had the wherewithal to know what, what time was on the clock to pump fake yeah, and then and then still get a shot off in time, and by the way, just dry, like throw a defender silly out of bounds. Like yeah. um, that's what made that moment work. I, I think that? that's an important part. There's so much we we could spend realistically two hours talking about the finer details of this moment, but that's something totally. the defender needs to know. You need to stay on your feet and on the ground if there's three seconds left. Versus, I I think that defender thought. She's only going to have one chance. I got to I gotta block the ball and didn't think there was that much time left. Let's yeah, back to something you mm-hmm. just said, which is the Washington Mystics, who are, are not a bad guy team in the playoffs by any means. Not, close. not like a villainous team. Uh, drag themselves into playoff contention um, by, by winning some tough games down the stretch. I think they got four or five wins to even make the postseason when I was sure Dallas was going to take that last spot. And this is a Washington team down Tina Charles. They're down Elena Deladon. They're down Johnson and Ariel Powers. They didn't have any players, Steve. And they still cut Shea Petty a month ago, even though they didn't have anyone. They, they do have players. They have Heinz Allen playing great. They have Leilani Mitchell. I'm just saying as far as depth goes, it's crazy that they didn't think that, that Petty could be a piece on this team when, when injuries and, and people sitting out had ravaged their roster so fully. And Leilani Mitchell was, I mean, 8 of 15 for the game, 5 of 7 from deep. She was lights out. She was going to be the story of this game. But 
Yeah. That's it's crazy to me that the mystics who, who in my eyes were probably the most down, like impactful players team in the league this year. Didn't find a spot for the player that ended up doing them in. And as we mentioned with the Maya Moore story, it's, you couldn't write it any better. Um, she shot four of seven for the game in 27 minutes. She was two of four from deep. And to your point, the wherewithal, the guts, the cold blood in her veins to know I can pump fake, get around the defender, set my feet, and knock this shot down and celebrate like a boss. Like it oh was. my gosh! Oh, thank you for bringing up the ce- the celebration was downright perfect. Like it, again, we don't try to play the NBA comparison, but this was like Damian Lillard wave goodbye level awesome celebration of just like it was almost just like a sly smile that was just like yeah I made that. Well, like DT, the goat is losing her mind, <laughs> like running up to pick you up off the ground. You're yeah. just like, oh, you saw that? <laughs> if, there's, if there's one way to get the respect of Diana Tarazi, it's to keep Phoenix in contention for a championship. And that's, that's, that's the thing. what was on the line with that. The before. trust is what makes that moment so incredible because the, the commentary talked about it. You know, one of the few pieces of what's what's been kind of cool about the whole bubble experience has been sound bites. You got to hear a lot of things you don't normally get healed. We got to hear pretty much all of the Mercury's final huddle in its entirety, in its full detail. And and getting to hear Sandy Brondello basically map everything out to perfection gave you the idea of like, yes, if if Skydig is, is open at any point in that play, she probably takes the shot. But the fact of the matter is, there was certainly a drop scenario where Diana Taurasi scouted against Smith. Every player on that court is confidently saying, if it gets to this point, we get it to Petty and Petty get, makes it happen. That's what amazes me about this is the level of trust they had in a player who's barely played a full month with that roster, if not a full month with that roster, pretty well amazes me. And it, it, it taught me a lot about Phoenix and where I potentially see them in this playoff scenario because it was a pretty cool thing. Uh, the one note that I want to make that there's a pattern here, when did this become the year of the cross court pass to buzzer beater? Honestly, I feel like, I feel like that's a, just a trope of this year that I hadn't seen heavily before. Yeah. You can make an entire highlight reel of just that play and, and it should be noted heck of a pass. Um, oh, to beautiful her. pass. Yeah. Because if that pass doesn't land right in her hands, she doesn't get the pump fake off. That shot gets blocked and the game is over. Let's talk mm-hmm. about a few more layers of this that I think are interesting. One is, as you mentioned, Diana Tarazi gave up that ball to Skylar Diggins-Smith, who then gave it to Petty, who made the shot. Tarazi, who's been in this situation dozens of times in her career, she's 13-1 and in winner-go-home games. Um, she does not lose these games. And in single elimination games, it was 6-0 and walking into right. this one. He, yeah. in this game, was 50% shooting, including 4 of 8 from deep. If she hangs onto the ball for a couple seconds and then tries the shot and, and puts, puts the future of, of this season on her own shoulders, nobody on that team is going to hold it against her. If she decides, I'm DT, do or die, I will take the final shot. No one's going to hold it against her. Same with Diggin Smith. I think no one's, no one's going to question if Smith tries to drive to the hoop. She was 7 of 18. In fact, uh, Tarazi and Diggin Smith had almost identical lines um, 23 and 24 points, six assists versus five assists. Um, yeah. it, you know, it was, they, they shared the ball so, so incredibly well. They were very unselfish. 
Um, but to, for both of them who were having good shooting nights to pass the ball up to Petty, who'd only taken six shots to that point in the game, man, as you said, the trust, the chemistry, the kind of the culmination of what I would call like a summer camp vibe of this bubble experience that we're all watching. Um, that's, that's a great, that's a great moment. We're going to look back at that we shot. Were, always. I, so I think we were waiting for a, a moment we've seen so many times from DT and others. We were waiting for drop pass in Diana finds open court, kicks the ball back to her. And she and she drops in a shot before the clock goes out. Like we were waiting for that moment to happen, and it almost looked like at no point was the consideration to get the ball to Diana. It probably was, and just the play broke down differently. But it had that look of like get Skydig to the to the hole. Let's see what happens. Here's where the open spots are. If if things break down, and she like you said made a pinpoint perfect pass, which to me. It also, I got to give so much credit to Sandy Brondello for drawing up a play, kind of understanding how the game had went because we were only a few minutes removed from Skydig making a very similar play and Maisha Heinz-Allen drawing what at the time felt like a momentum-changing charge that, you know, on a very similar play where she drove in. And I feel like you have that, like something Sandy has in the back of her mind as she's drawing that up that was such a huge night. I, obviously there's so much more to talk about as far as the rest of the basketball to happen, because it's kind of a shame this mystics team, we're not going to get a chance to see them again because yeah. uh, like, I, I wish what Lane Lonnie Mitchell did could be rewarded with some more basketball because we've, we obviously are, we have a very high level soft spot for Leilani Mitchell. We've seen her play uh, in person I saw her play in person in Utah. She went to the University of Utah. I like, and so to watch her have this opportunity against a team who who moved her over to the Mystics, and that was so going to be the story. Was, can you believe the Mystics dropped Leilani Mitchell? Look what she's doing to him. Uh, it it just became such yeah. a fun. When I yeah. I emphasized all the all things they were missing at the beginning of uh, this segment, but they they put in an effort that to me looks like. A, a winning effort. I mean, they shot 50% from three. They shot well from everywhere on the floor. Uh, they didn't get to the foul line quite as much, and, and I think that did really hurt them. But they brought an 11-point lead over Phoenix into the fourth quarter. Uh, and I just – I don't know. Emma Meesman played great. She's another favorite of this show. We talk about her a lot. Um, they There was nothing that they did that I think was incriminating, like, oh, they didn't deserve to be here in the playoffs. They slipped into the eighth seed. The, you know, they Phoenix was going to beat them all along. I thought Phoenix was going to win this game by double digits, and they, the Mystics really balled out. Um, and ultimately, it comes down to a last-second shot that the Stars kind of had to align in order for for things like that to go in. And I, I do think it matters that the the two biggest players on on Phoenix's roster were getting to the line more regularly and uh, between Tarazi and, and Diggins Smith, they only missed one out of 13 free throws. Um, and the Mystics only shot 13 free throws. So they, they didn't quite get the aggressiveness in the paint that maybe they needed. But, man, to, to get outscored 26 to 14 in the fourth and lose by one, that, that is a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> it really is, uh, especially given the momentum that they were carrying. I actually honestly see – the the matchup they had impending being 
uh, well in not necessarily in their favor, but a, a solid piece for them. There was a lot to play off of there, but um, I mean, all in all, I, I just, this was a very fun basketball game. Uh, DT and Skydig had kind of rough first halves, turned the jets on in the second half, really switched things around. Um, I've got to say when Skylar Diggins Smith made the move to Phoenix, when that all went down, I was one of the main skeptics of this. And I've got to say, she has put in an effort well beyond anything I would have expected. And it amazes me how well Skylar Diggins Smith and Diana Taurasi fit sharing a basketball court. That was, this felt like the classic case of there's only one basketball. Like how are these two players going to coexist? Skydig was second on the team in rebounds for the night. Uh, like she's found so many different ways to contribute. She seems to have such a good piece stretch on the floor. Uh, I got to give love to Kiavana and Bree Turner. Uh, you know, Bree with 11 rebounds. This is such a fun night. And we talk so much about that Shea Petty shot. We're forgetting this is on top of going four for seven from the field. 50% from three, she dropped in 12 points. It's not like she just came out of obscurity and made this shot. She got dropped by Washington and then became an immediate impact player on this Phoenix squad. And that amazes me. Yeah, this game ruled. Uh, we will see the Phoenix Mercury face off uh, in round two against the Minnesota Lynx shortly. Uh, by the time you listen to this episode, it might actually be the same day. But we will discuss round two matchups in a moment. There's another round one game that happened, Steve. It wasn't as exciting. In fact, for me, it was kind of hard to watch. <laughs> it, it went according to both Kyle and I's predictions, so we nailed that. Uh, but boy, for a team that legitimately looked like a top two or three team, which is with what you put in our chat uh, the, the night this happened, that is a, a rough way for the season to end for the Chicago Sky, falling to Connecticut 94 to 81. Uh, they were outgunned this entire game, uh, took, a, took 29 points in the fourth quarter to even try to stay in it, um, and even then a 13-point loss from Chicago. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to, to see how you would grade this season for the Sky, including – uh, you know, amendments for injuries that we know really hurt this team down the stretch and they never really. Seem it's extremely hard to balance out because it, I still put high stock into this team with a healthy diamond to shields. And that's where it's tough for me. I probably, if you were giving me a grade, how they handled the rest of the season, C plus to B minus, um, how they handled this basketball game, probably a D. I was not a fan of the fourth quarter specifically because I, I think in the first half, you know, they had a sizable deficit and found a way to tie it up at the half. It looked like they were putting pieces together. And I've always, I've been a long fan of, of James Wade's coaching acumen. I didn't love how he managed the fourth quarter. You have a sizable lead that's still somewhat manageable in that fourth quarter and I felt like they went with the try to match size for size, see if you can slow down the Connecticut attack. And what that means is you don't put Allie Quigley on the floor until yeah. there's less than three minutes left in the basketball game. She should have taken 20 attempts from beyond the arc. And that's not me being a short-sighted fan who watched her play horse or anything to that level. That's saying 
this is a team that has scoring weapons and you held back until it really was too late because the second you put Quill quickly the four, she dropped seven points within, I believe, 90 seconds. Like this was something that definitely had that potential in there. And that's one of other pieces of, I just felt like they, like coach Wade overthought how to strategize that fourth quarter. I feel like you get your weapons in there. You put yourself in the best position to make up points as quickly as possible. If that's a single digit game with four or five minutes left, you're in real striking distance uh, as, as a team. And I just feel like you kind of pulled the lever at a point where it wasn't going to take much for Connecticut to slow you down. And they did, you know, they were able to, to put together an offensive rebound and a score late. And it just kind of felt like from there is playing for peanuts. Yeah, I agree. I think Allie Quigley could have easily made this the Quigley game uh, because in the minutes she did play, she was the most efficient player on the floor. She shot 70% from the floor. She was the team leader in scoring with 19 points and she did it in 27 minutes when basically everyone else in the starting lineup was playing 32, 34, 35. Um, yep. Those five minutes she wasn't on the floor where she needed to be is the difference in this game because that I was worried for Connecticut's sake, even though I picked them in this game, that Chicago could overwhelm them from the perimeter with all of their shooting options and with Allie Quigley's ball movement skills, they would be able to, or excuse me, Courtney Vanderson's ball movement skills, that they'd be able to find open shooters and kind of overwhelm the Connecticut Sun that way. Instead, yeah, the sky fell into that classic coaching mistake of trying to play the other team's game, limiting their own best player. You know, if, if I was coaching against Chicago, this is exactly what I hoped they would do. Right. And you never, you never want to make moves that the other coach is like, Oh, great. Now we don't have to deal with that. <laughs> you know? So you know, not great. Um, not yeah, Just, uh, I liked what we saw from Kalia copper and she'd had such a good season that, you know, th there were some good performances from Chicago, um, but they, you know, they, they played close at, until half and then coming out the, the third quarter was just a disaster for them. They were outscored 27 to 11. The Sun just had a better game plan. Uh, you cannot talk about this game without talking about the complete destruction of the Chicago sky on the boards. Um, at yeah. one point, in fact, near the very end of the game, within the last couple of minutes, the Sun had more offensive rebounds than the sky had total rebounds. And that cannot happen in a, in a playoff game where you have, you're, you're supposed to be the better shooting team, the more efficient team, the team that can do more with your possessions. Um, and on top of that, the free throw differential was, was also insane. Um, so just not great defense either. It was, it was a bad look for the sky. What, what are you more concerned about for the sky in this game and in their future, the, uh, the rebounding totals or the fact that it doesn't seem like they want to put Ali Quigley in a position to, to win them this game. Right. As you were bringing that point up, the very next thing I was ready to say was the fact that, Alyssa Thomas and Dewana Bonner out rebounded the Chicago sky. Like yeah. that, like that alone. And a team, I understand that there's a, a bit of a size differential, but like you're swinging out Ruthie Hebert and Steph Dolson. Like you should be able to manage that. So that definitely did stand out well and off the bat. The, this, a key issue with Chicago that I think they need to, to come to determine over time that I feel like has been a narrative the last couple of years has been you have high impact players across that roster. We've talked about Diamond to Shields and, and her not being there, what that's impacted. Obviously, Courtney Vandersloot, Allie Quigley. 
it, it's difficult with this team that you can't quite put your finger on who is the face of that roster, who is that A1 steak sauce, who's the star. And a lot of teams don't love to immediately turn to that, right? Because you don't want to make it about one player. But every great team in this league has one at sort of a second, but generally one player that you go, that's who it is. What makes Shea Petty's moment work so insanely well, what makes that so special is the fact that we all knew it was Diana Taurasi. We all knew that's who it goes to. And they cashed in on, on everyone's belief of that. The, the, the Sparks this year, on top of all their success, also contingent on the fact that they finally remembered, right, this is Candace Parker's team. And they found a way to center around that. Chicago doesn't quite have that immediately. Because there are moments where when this team's at full strength, you go, is it Diamond's team? Because it could also be Courtney's team. And then, like you said, this could have been the Allie Quigley game. And it could have become Allie Quigley's team. I think they need to figure out what that direction is. Yeah. and then filter around it. That's not to downplay or delineate any other player. But when you set that in motion, what you're doing is helping all of the general motions of your squad mold together. Because do the Chicago Sky have talent to contend? Absolutely. This is a fantastic roster from start to finish. I don't think they quite have the thread that they need to pull that together. And maybe if they're at full strength for this whole run, we see that a little bit differently. Uh, but you could tell how that discombobulation happened because there was there was something to that that made that when I watched the Connecticut Sun, I went, oh, I get it. <laughs> like I know I know where they're filtering everything through, and it made perfect sense because they 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 walked into that game saying we have a set of twin towers and we're going to let them dominate, and it yeah. told the story. I I am confused. I. I believe it is Courtney Vandersloot's team, but because she is a distributor, she can be a scorer, but primarily her skill we've seen all season is as a distributor and a floor general. She's not a defensive anchor. She's not going to get you 30, 30 points when no one else seems to be hitting a bucket. So she needs to yeah. be distributing. And she did, she had a, a six assist game, which for her is like, yeah. you know, subpar. Um, but for anybody else is fine. But the problem is they were going to, I mean, I mean look at three-pointing three isn't, three-point shooting isn't the end-all be-all of this game. But they shot 50% from the floor and just eight of eight of 20. Yeah, yeah eight of 20 for three-point is 40%, I guess. But the, the fact that Allie Quigley only took three shots from beyond the perimeter in this game. And, you know, Gabby William took, Williams took five, Kalia Copper took four. Steph Dolson took two. You know, like yeah. <laughs> quickly needs to be taking more. I mean, what is? <clears throat> let me let me find really quick. What's the three point percentage for, um, for Allie Quigley this season? It's it's got to be more than the rest of those players. I wish I came into this prepared. I'm sorry, I don't have this right in front of me. <laughs> um, no, I, but I definitely see what you're saying, and, I, and and whether you have the stats or not, I think it's one of those things of I think it speaks for itself that you have that weapon at your disposal and i think you over strategized your way out of a very sense-making move and and the courtney vandersloot take you had makes a lot of sense because i think a similarity to that is in seattle where there's an easy take to say this is sue Bird's team 
But at the end of the day, given her goal as a pure point guard, she, it may be her squad in a lot of ways, but she knows who she's hanging her hat on if push comes to shove, and it's Bree Stewart. And I don't know that Chicago has that pull, and they can. And that's where it gets interesting. Right now, I feel like they sort of have three A1 choices, and they have to make a hard decision. Well, who actually is the A1? And I, and I think that could potentially help them. I still feel like they, they have to figure out what who their key big is, you know, who they're sticking at center and how that's going to affect their roster. Um, but other than that, I mean, this, it, there was an easy point where you're saying this might, you know, Seattle's like almost definitely a top seed. Chicago very possibly is the other one. There was a point where that discussion was being made and it's interesting where that fell. I feel like we've hounded a lot on Chicago and have not given enough respect to a, a Chicago set, or sorry, a Connecticut Sun, Chicago Sun, that's a newspaper, a Connecticut Sun team who played a dominant game in the least Connecticut Sun way possible in that obviously there were a lot of players who played phenomenally well, Brianna Jones, Kayla Charles, you saw a lot of great performances, but this is one of those games where they turned their two best players and said, just go tear things up. Mm-hmm. and it was it was fun to watch yeah um Allie quickly by the way a career 39 percent three-point shooter in the playoffs that's that's the stat I was looking for um I I agree we need to give Connecticut the respect here because Connecticut or, uh, Chicago did not play their best game but they're still a feisty team that wanted some some payback for what they consider an early exit in the playoffs last year um, and knew they weren't playing their best basketball and not playing great defensively, but it takes a lot of effort to get to the line 29 times. It takes a lot of effort to get 40 total rebounds and 22 assists when you're going up against the team with maybe the best ball distributor in the game right now. Um, we, we, when we did the preview, Kyle and I, we talked a lot about Dewana Bonner being a big game player. She had a great game. She went four for nine, um, pulled in 12 rebounds, and on her way to 23 points, but it was Alyssa Thomas who played almost every second of this basketball game. <laughs> that <laughs> went with. I mean, 10 of 19 from the floor. She hit all but one free throw. She was a plus 13 for the matchup, uh, which was the final margin of victory and also pulled in 13 rebounds, just 13 and 28 and eight, by the way, eight assists to go along with it. That is a monster performance for a team that, I kind of lost sight of in the middle of the season. Honestly, I, I faded them as, as a, what's the word I'm looking for as an impact team, like a team that was going to matter this season. I, I lost sight. They, they started over five and started winning some games. And we all said, yeah, Kurt Miller's a winner. He'll figure some things out, but that's such a hole to start out from. Yep. And then they went 10 of six <laughs> the rest of the yeah. season. Yeah, I have I I have the same response that I do every single time I see this out of Alyssa Thomas. How how are we seeing this type of output from a player who can barely lift her arms over her shoulders? We're talking makes, about two torn labrums, Alyssa Thomas makes no sense. Absolutely bonkers. I 
it's it's a part of why she is one of my top five favorite players is that she can turn these type of jets on. But the other narrative behind this is we had so many insane roster moves and transactions throughout the years. I was a big dis. I was a, a a big proponent at the start of the season that Connecticut might kind of be the odd team out without John Quill Jones. You're talking about an MVP caliber player who is an MVP finalist, not on that roster. I don't know if they could put it together. I'm one of the many who forgot that Dewana Bonner is really good at basketball and showed it all season. But this was definitely that breakout game night of like, you know what? I think I finally just need to remind everyone who I am. And it was crashing the boards. It was finding quality shots. It was frustrating offenses. It, you know, it, it was so much of what we've seen out of her and defining in so many ways. You got to keep in mind, the, 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 the sky outshot the sun, uh, both from the field and from three in this game. You know, uh, efficiency-wise, there were questions, but it really came down to, obviously, crashing the boards was a huge piece of it. Um, but also coming down to the fact that those those were two players who were just never going to say no, and they never, you know, in that second half, they, ne- they never gave Chicago room to make a real deep cut. You know, they found ways to make it happen. It's it, it, it really is going to make their upcoming matchup so much freaking fun. Uh, yeah. Because it's just going to be a true clash of the Titans. I'm really excited to see how that pans out. Yeah. That's yeah. That How much trust must, must Alyssa Thomas and Kurt Miller share to have her out there for 39 and a half minutes and going 23, 28, 13 and, and eight, uh, and, and both shoulders, uh, can't, you know, can't raise them above her head pain every time she moves them. I don't know if you've ever torn a labor. I haven't, but, um, <laughs> it's surgery to repair. It's, uh, I, it's, to... it's grinding and locking in the shoulder joint. To uh uh to to quote the esteemed host of pardon the interruption, a labrum could walk through that door right now, and uh, that you know I, yeah that's how far I am. But I, I'll say this much: I probably two to three times a week I sleep wrong on one shoulder, and I'm useless for the rest of the day. Like <laughs> I feel like a weird tightness in one, and I'm like, oh, am I even going to be able to type? And uh, to to see that kind of output is is just completely immense. And I think it's one of those things of um, you're talking about a well-coached team, but also I think Kurt Miller put himself in the situation where he handed kind of the reins over to his stars. And, you know, after all we've been together, you know what to do. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think we're finally are to a point where there's just no more ignoring the sun. Hey, we just, it, it can't be, it can't happen anymore. I agree. They've, they've got the stars to do some things and, uh, that's a nice enough segue into their round two matchup. Their reward for that game against the Chicago Sky is to take on in a single elimination matchup the third seed Los Angeles Sparks. That just isn't right. Steve, you were the first uh, in our in our chat. Not, I'm sure, not the first in the world, uh, but you were early in telling us that we were overlooking the Los Angeles Sparks. Um, Candace Parker receiving some some end of year nods for different awards from different publications. Obviously, a team that is stacked. Probably a team of the caliber that should not have to play in a wild card elimination game, to be honest. Uh, but somebody had to. 
out of the top three teams in this league. They will take on the, the Connecticut Sun. How? Uh, uh, what are your initial impressions from this game? The main thing that stands out to me, because I think right now when people look at the Sparks, they look at a team with quality size who's played stout defense. This team's shooting 48% from the field this season. For the season across the roster. Candice herself is shooting 51% for the year. Neko Gumake is shooting 57% from the field. Um, this is the most offensively efficient I've potentially seen the Sparks in a very long time. And I think it's it's like I had thought and pointed out at the start of the season, they're a team to me where this wobble scenario may have benefited them just as much, if not more, than almost any other squad because – it helps a veteran Candace Parker stay focused and, and lock in. Um, you know, it supports an opportunity for Chelsea Gray to build off the of momentum. It helps a lot of new faces who are going to contribute come together as a squad. It helps Derek Fisher come into his own as a coach when he knows he has a lot of doubts coming his way. We're talking about an extremely talented team that at the same time, should be a first or second seed and is still a third seed for a reason. And that's because there's some humanity there. And if there was a matchup of those last four seeds that I don't want, if I'm the Sparks, it's probably the Connecticut Sun because they match up at a lot of positions really well. And they have, obviously, as we've talked about, two players who are going to crash the boards, who will find dynamic ways to score, there are very few defenders who can match step for step with what Dewana Bonner is capable of doing. And that's what makes this fun is, is looking at that, that piece together. But um, I, you know, I've really loved watching this, this, this Sparks team. I've loved watching Candace Parker say, I'm going to go be one of the three best defensive players in the league. And she's always been a great defensive player, but not something she's always been directly known for, you know, being a lot of beards, teammate for so long and it, it was fun watching those narratives come to play i you know yeah i i'm i'm as big a fan of the sparks rosters as as just about any team this season yeah i uh i'm excited from the the connecticut sun's performance against chicago because it makes me feel like we're gonna get vintage bonner thomas and, and even jasmine thomas performances if if jasmine thomas can step up and have a better game but uh if I was to design a team to beat this Connecticut Sun team, I'd give them two of conservatively the four best defensive players in the league uh, in Brittany Sykes and Candace Parker. And yep. that is a tall order. Um, I, I think a day of rest is probably enough because once they're in the playoffs, it's like it's go time. Um, but the Sparks have been resting a little bit longer. They're going to be ready to go. As you mentioned, they shoot a terrifying percentage from the floor. So offense is not a problem for the Sparks either. Um, I really believe this is this, this should be thought of as as intimidating um, as going up against Vegas in in a wild card game because this I think those two teams Vegas and the Sparks are on are on the same level. Um, that pretty much gives away who I'm taking in this game, but I think the Sparks are going to create too many problems, create too many turnovers, prevent uh, the the Sun from getting so many offensive rebounds in this game. Uh, and it's going to be a narrower victory than maybe the Sparks anticipate. But I do think LA is getting through the next round. It's it's just really hard to pick against them. Um, and I know you probably feel the same. More or less, I, I'm shocked in a lot of ways. I, I think, obviously, we're going to be watching great performances out of the bigs. 
if there's one player that I look at here that I go really helps immediately put the sparks over the top. First of all, you called up Brittany Sykes, which I didn't even, uh, I totally misstepped on earlier. That's absolutely an advantage on that. end because she has just been magnificent. I've, I've, probably one of the five most fun players to watch on the floor of the season. If I'm being honest. Oh, yeah. At the same time, I think Chelsea gray gives this roster so much of an edge given their matchup against the sun. Uh, and I see that a lot. I expect to want a bonder to go 30 plus in this game uh, and to keep a, a fight in, in the sun that said, I'm going to give this probably a five, maybe a seven point victory to, to the sparks. It just, it just feels that way. Um, but these are two squads that are always fun when they match up. So we'll just, we'll just have to see, but yeah, I'll take LA in this one. It, uh, I, I don't think LA fans should go into the game worried necessarily, but, uh, be, be ready for a fight (laughs) because, because Kurt Miller doesn't go anywhere without the intention. Would would you be shocked? Might I say possibly literally, uh, yeah. Would you be shocked after all the weirdness that's happened in 2020 that once again the Connecticut Sun would just be sitting there near the finals the way they always are? I mean, it it would almost bring yeah. a sense. Yeah, I you you have two tough player attitudes like Bonner and Parker on the floor at the same time. I'm, there's just a lot that could happen. I, I I like the matchup. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I wouldn't be shocked in the slightest if the Sun pull this one off, but. That's yeah. Tis what tis, you know. All right, there's another matchup we got to talk about, uh, and it is a sizzling one. Boy, <laughs> we have the Phoenix Mercury, who do not like to go home in single elimination games, against the new look Cheryl Reeve coached Minnesota Lynx, the number four seed on the year. Uh, to me, one of the most surprising teams of the year, maybe the most surprising. Uh, and I, I'm interested in uh, this segment, especially because Steve, I'll tell you at this moment, I have no idea who I'm picking to win this game. <laughs> so. I love you calling out the new look Minnesota links. That just feels like Cheryl Reeves MO at this point is right. we walk into every year and there's random hitches to the roster and we go, gee, how's she going to pull this one off? And heaven help you if she didn't pull it off. Honestly, if, if you you were kind of just a a casual like really casual follower of the league, you might know you know the Lynx. They win a lot of games. They've they've won recently. They're a good team. This team isn't any of those teams. This is Crystal Dangerfield and Nafisa Collier team. Um, and and I you know I don't know how the experience of the Mercury, uh, how much that will take you know, how far that will take them against what I think is a better Minnesota team, but I think it will matter. Uh, and, and I don't think Collier and Dangerfield are necessarily afraid of anyone, but this is a big, after, after a really successful year and snagging the four seed, this is a nightmare matchup for a one game do or die winner go home situation. hundred percent. I think there's so much to this that obviously you have, Phoenix and their gravitas and all their momentum. You have, let's just say, the rookie of the year in Crystal Dangerfield. Um, the and a, a team that it's so funny how we've been doing this lately. Um, in 2017, 
Sylvia Fells won the league MVP. And then we immediately forgot that Sylvia Fells plays for the Lynx. Like it's, it's so crazy to think that one of the most efficient dominant bigs seems to, to, to find a way to stay stealth. Um, but I think overall it, it comes down to the same type of conversation you have with Connecticut, a well-coached team. Every player knows their role efficient, you know, effectively and efficiently. And it, it's the type of team that can score heavily on you without you truly and, and really knowing it. I, it, this is an interesting matchup because both teams bring such different brands to the floor. It's hard to tell how they'll match up. Cause I don't know if anywhere on the floor, any of these players match up, there's going to be a lot of movement happening. Um, and it may be a class, it may be what Phoenix just experienced. You know, this may come down to, I'm just trying to pick names out of a hat at this point, you know, it's going to come down to, you know, Kiki Herbert Harrigan and I don't know, Lana Smith or something. <laughs> we'll talk yeah. about all the stars and then, yeah. Yeah, this is such a hard game to analyze, I think, because it feels like they've played, to, to me at least, my perspective is, it feels like these teams had such different trajectories and, and arcs this season. Played, yeah, I, I thought Minnesota played a much better year overall. These, these teams were only separated by a game in, in the standings, 13-9 and nine and 14-8. and eight. They have almost an identical field goal percentage. They have nowhere near the same identical defensive stats. They, they are not the same teams on, on both ends of the floor. You know, Minnesota shoots threes, Phoenix gets blocks. It's you both have all-star, you know, legendary players that have set all like all-time league records that will stand years and years. How is the team who doesn't have their all world dominant center, the team that still gets blocks? <laughs> like, I freaking love I mean there's a really there's a really easy answer for that but I mean it's it's Bree Turner but I mean it's just it amazes me averages twice the amount of blocks per game uh that that Minnesota does which is just wild (laughs) so yeah it's crazy and honestly I think this will be such a close game because their seasons were really determined by pretty narrow margins I don't think Phoenix or Minnesota really ran teams out of the building. I think they played uh, well against good teams and, and ended up, like I said, they, they ended up so similar in so many different ways, even though their, their, their makeup, their rosters are, are not, they don't play the same basketball at all. It really might just come down to kind of the coaching cliche of who's, who's going to get the other team to play their game. The way that, the way that Chicago kind of fell into that trap against Connecticut, you know, who's going to play, the the Diana Trazi Skylar Diggins Smith game, uh, or is it going to be Sylvia Fowles and and Dangerfield? Are we going to get like a vintage Crystal Dangerfield cements the Rookie of the Year award with a huge twenty five point night type of game? I don't know. I could see that being on the table. Yeah, and and, and this could very well come down to you've got two Hall of Fame caliber coaches and who's who who performs in the foxhole better you know it's to me it's there's so much at play here which is probably why the prediction i'm i'm thinking is going to go the way that it is um that what makes this matchup fun and might make any matchup with the mercury fun at this point it feels like is 
there's just so many moving parts. It's so hard to tell what, what flow you're going to expect. But that's, that's why everyone needs to be watching the WNBA anyway, right? Is this is, this is the type of stuff you can come to expect. Yeah. I, uh, I'll, I'll make my prediction known because if I, if I don't say it out loud, I'll change it like a, (laughs) um, I am going to take the experience in this one. Uh, and I, I don't have a lot to go on other than guts. We've talked to you about some of the numbers and some of the matchups, but, uh, listeners, I I want you to let us know who you're taking in this one because I'm interested. It's, I imagine if we ran a poll, it'd be, it'd be close to 50, 50. Uh, I'm not going to bet against Tarazi for as long as she's in the league and in the playoffs, I'm going to assume that she and the Diggins Smith experiment that seems to be working this year are going to find a way. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be close. I mean, I hate to have two straight weeks where the hosts went shock, but Phoenix again reminds me why almost every single year Kyle finds a way to pick them. Uh-huh. To, to go the distance is if if they've got a scratch in it that you just can't count them out, like they can suddenly find them their way into a semifinal matchup and then all, all bets are off. I there's so much in terms of the X's and the O's and the matchups that it's so hard to tell what goes that way that the only thing I can give here is you if you have a moment like the Mercury did in their previous game you are coming into this game with a, a little bit of an extra step forward in that you have, you have that momentum. I think the only thing that the, that Phoenix would have wanted after Shea Petty makes that shot is that they could have immediately turned around and played Minnesota right then. Yeah. You know, rest, rest days be damned. I don't care how much time you have off. Let's do this. And I think um, you, you're going to see a team that is, is, reminded of the swagger that they can have and have a chance to pull this off. I think this game will come down to a single score and I wouldn't be shocked in the slightest. If this thing goes into extras, um, I've, I've, I'm anticipating this matchup about as much as any matchup we've seen all season. And it makes sense because it's the playoffs, but, but this, this is, uh, this is must watch TV. The other, the other game is great too. I'm really excited for both of these. We've already seen great stuff in opening rounds. Um, but these single eliminator games, I mean, look at last year's playoffs. I think last year, maybe the best game of the playoffs was the Chicago Las Vegas, uh, like in this round. Um, so I just for, uh, if you're trying to make your decisions at home, uh, just for comparison's sake, um, these teams played each other twice in nine days in August uh, the Minnesota Lynx won the first matchup, ninety to eighty, and the Phoenix Mercury took back uh, and split the series uh, by winning a four-point game, eighty-three to seventy-nine. So that doesn't help either. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, you're on. There's, oh. there's not much. There's not much to bleed off of here, uh, especially given that you have a team that's coached by Cheryl Reeve, who knows how to get her players emotionally ready and poised for, for big matchups against a team that's going to be coming in with all of the emotion. Uh, it's, you know, this will be, I think this will turn into, I, I imagine this will turn into one of those matchups that we might talk about uh, 
I'll put it this way. This could end up being one of the more, most momentous matchups we've seen since game five of the 2018 semis Ooh, of, yeah. of Phoenix and Seattle or, you know, game five of the finals last year where it's uh, it, the, the shame is that these teams only get a matchup once. Uh, yeah. Once we get done with them. Yep. I agree. I uh, just, this is getting a little bit of ahead of ourselves, but uh, the winner of, well, I guess it's, it's uh, the higher seed winner and the lower seed winner. So we don't necessarily know, but the winner of these games will go on to face the league, big dogs of Las Vegas and Seattle in a series uh, first to three uh, in a five game series. So you win this one, you at least stay alive for three more games uh, to get, to get your head on straight. If, if you're still struggling to figure things out or to get players back and healthy or to keep momentum rolling if you've been rolling. So uh, you win this one and you're in, in a sense, you're into the kind of the late stage of, of the WNBA playoffs. You'll be in the semifinals. Uh, very excited for both of these matchups. Thank you, Steve, for joining me today and breaking these down. These will both be on ESPN two uh, tomorrow at 7 PM Eastern and 9 PM Eastern. Steve, this is so fun. I'm glad you're back on, man. Yeah, I, this was this is great. It it's it fit like a glove, and just I, on top of having a chance to be back on mic again, you just forget how much damn fun playoff season is. This is it's, you know, it's so fun. It's the cherry on top of what has been a a fun bubble experience uh, that I know we were all kind of not skeptical of, but we were all worried. Uh, we were worried there wasn't going to be no basketball for a minute. We had a draft and we said, gosh, I hope there's basketball. Um, and now here we are uh, for teams, you know, four teams are going to be playing for their lives tomorrow night. So tune into that. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at WNBA nation pod. Uh, you can also be a Patreon uh, supporter and get some cool free stuff and some extras and help us make our show. Awesome. Um, Steve, anything I'm leaving out? Um, that's really that's really a lot of it. That's where to find the show. Obviously, we have our sister program in WSL Nation. Uh, we're in the middle of the fall series. We're, Mike and I aren't doing any direct coverage on that right now because it's still a little bit sparse and unpredictable. But that's on top of several NWSL players currently playing uh, overseas in the Women's Super League in the UK. Uh, so we may pop some things up there, but on top of that, you know, some great, just great women's soccer to enjoy there. Also, uh, you know, the season will be coming to a close before we know it in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we will have some cool stuff to put together. We're going to be putting together some interviews. We also will have the return of W history. Uh, we have some awesome ideas for, for what we want to put together for the second season. And we'll be diving into a lot of that come off season time. So if, we crowned a champion and you thought time to take a hiatus from, from WMA nation and company. Uh, we got, we got a lot more cuisine for you to enjoy coming your way. Absolutely correct, man. I, I wish I had a sounder that like, like attached to a button I could press every time we, we bring up WMB nation, like just like a, bar, 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 like something <laughs> that's just like, yeah, I, oh, it's so great. Um, thank you for listening, listeners. We are excited to bring you all of this coverage and more in the days to come. Thursday night, uh, Phoenix Mercury, Minnesota Lynx, Connecticut Sun versus Los Angeles Sparks. We will have it all for you. For WNB Nation, I am Logan Jones. 
I'm Steve Schwartzman. And we got you next time. Bow, bow, bow.